Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 27 here on What About Therapy. I'm Enoch Fossum. I'm a certified mindfulness life coach. And I'm Austin Ivey, and I'm certified in the basics of acceptance and commitment therapy, and we're both going to school to be marriage and family therapists here in the state of Utah. In this episode, this is our one-year anniversary episode. So we're just going to go over briefly all the episodes that we've covered and just kind of summarize what we've been talking about this year. Let's jump right into it. Let's do it. What about therapy? All right. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So we're just going to jump right into it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. One whole year of doing a podcast. Yeah. One whole year. So the first episode dropped on January 27th. So what's the date today? The 24th. So it'll be, this episode will be released tomorrow on the 25th. So basically, I mean, definitely to the week mm-hmm. of our, of the first release. And that episode was on cognitive distortions. What are they? And this episode is actually our most listened to episode, which is kind of funny. And they, people keep listening to it. Like the, the listens keep going up very slowly, but consistently people are still listening to it. And I don't think it's happening to really any other of our episodes. Mm-hmm. So I think it's kind of fun. The very first one, it's still a banger. <laughs> but in that one, in the first, like, I don't know, let's see, when was your official onto the episode, onto the podcast? Oh, my, when like I became first a first co-host. Co-host, that would be... 20? 20? No, 19. No, 19, yeah. Yeah. So the first 18 episodes, well, not even, because Austin was also a guest, uh, while we were... Well, I was just doing it by myself in the meantime, but yeah, the first like, you know, seven, eight months, even nine months, it was just me and Austin would come on every once in a while. And at that point we were like, dude, we just, we got, I got to have you on. <laughs> so it's beneficial. It's beneficial for a little while. Yeah. A little That's over. one of the best decisions I've ever made. Oh, uh-huh. me too. Coming on to do it. It's been great. Mm. So it's been like almost half of the episodes. Like I've, I've been on them. So these first, yeah, the first, like, I guess I'm on number four and we'll get to that. But yeah, the first about 10 or so, it's all, it was all Enoch plugging away by himself. But yeah. That was, well, it, was, it was kind of fun. Yeah. So episode one, here we go. I'm feeling kind of nervous putting my first episode out there. Cause I mean, I had no idea what I was doing and we actually just saying that sometimes, I mean, setting things up, we still don't know what we're doing, but <laughs> we get it done. So the first three episodes is from the book Feeling Great by David Burns. And the first two episodes, we talk about cognitive distortions and the 10 different kinds of cognitive distortions that we can deal with. So number one was all or nothing thinking. And that's just when, obviously, you know, all or nothing. You either, like I'm a big sports guy, if I dropped a football in football practice or in a game, then all or nothing thinking, I would think I am just a really bad athlete. I'm the worst athlete in the world. And yep, I dropped one. I'm done. That's all or nothing. That's all or nothing thinking. And you can obviously tell why it can be uh, destructive. The second is overgeneralization. And that's kind of like all or nothing thinking. You tend to overgeneralize on things and kind of blow things out of proportion. Number three and four are also in the same ballpark. You got mental filtering 
and discounting the positive. Mental filtering is when you filter out the positive things that are going on in your life and just focus on the negative. And then discounting the positive is also, I mean, basically the same thing, is you discount the positive things that you experience and you only focus on the negative. Oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah. That's... And feel free to just jump in yeah. to any of these. We're going every other. Yeah. And the second so, one is just more of those, right? Is that is that all of them? Like from Yeah, the so the one? last one for this episode, the first one was jumping to conclusions. Ah. You just tend to always, you know, jump to, most most of the time, it's just jumping to a negative conclusion. Oh yeah. That's and that's the second episode is just more of that. Um, the first one is magnification versus minimization. And I'm not sure exactly what that could be. What would that be in the eyes of Mr. Burnt David Burns? So you magnify like issues? Okay. That you're going through, and then you minimize positive things that you're going through. Oh, okay. How that so, long? like, you know, I'm feeling happy right now, but oh, it's probably because, like, I don't know. But you, you kind of get the basic idea. Yeah, I think we all um, do that in our own ways. Yeah, you tend to magnify those things that you're going, that are happening in your life that are negative, and then you kind of put yourself down when you experience or do something positive, you tend to minimize that. Like, mm -hmm. if I caught a football, like, oh, it was just luck, or. You know, it was the, just a really good pass. Yeah, just yeah. a really good pass, and you minimize your efforts mm. instead of uh, magnifying it. Mm. Okay. It, it can also go the other way, though. You can magnify your efforts and you know get all flaunty and yeah, more narcissistic. You know, yeah, yeah, about it. And up that's in your just head about. Bad. It. Yeah. Okay, so that was the first <laughs> part two cognitive distortion. The second one was emotional reasoning. Can you tell us a little bit about that one too? Yeah, emotional reasoning is when. Let's see. I just tried to refresh myself on this. It's when you, so it's when your emotion, you, like you feel a certain way. If you're walking down the street, you feel anxious. And so your body, your mind thinks, okay, like I am, I'm feeling anxious. Therefore I am anxious or I'm in mm -hmm. a situation where I could be in danger right now. And that's emotional reasoning is when you think of things as they are not rather than mm. looking at them as they are. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense to me, yeah. That's yeah. an important skill to learn how to, to master, I guess, is not doing that. But um, yes, the third one is should statements. And this is one I think I can explain. Um, yeah, you got it. No Easy. one likes to be should on. No one likes to Nobody. be told what to do. And that even means ourselves. And so what we can do a lot in our own brains, um, in our like our own like self-talk that we do, is I should be doing this or I shouldn't be doing that. Like... I should be going to school because of this reason or that reason, or I should be um, working out because this or that when you really don't want to, when you force these rules or tell you this story about yourself and either you don't really want it or don't believe it in the first place. And it's just driving you into a, a really negative headspace because you're just telling you, telling yourself to do all these things that you really don't want to do that you should be doing it. You really don't want to be doing it in the first place. Is that guy kind of captured yeah. the essence of it there? Yeah. Perfect. I think so. And we could do a whole episode on this, and I think we probably will in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Should statements, because there are some good shoulds, but most of the mm -hmm. time they're like socially compliant shoulds. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you think society should tell you to do this, or you think you should do that or this, because it's what the norm is. Yeah. Because, like, there's, yeah, there is, like you said, there's certain shoulds. Like, you should drink water and you should eat food. But. <laughs> No one says you should yeah. do some other socially compliant goals that um, are being, especially ones that are forced upon you by someone else. Right. Um, Perfect. Yeah. And then the fifth one out of this part two was self-blame and other blame. And maybe you could explain that one a little bit further too. Self-blame, 
you blame yourself for things and other blame you blame others you know you kind of pretty it's kind of pointing the finger mm. is this one yeah uh, but then we also have labeling oh here. yes labeling i skipped that over that one yeah and you can probably explain that one yeah labeling like emotions is good or bad probably would probably that one like if you are feeling anxious or feeling sad or lonely it's very common. It's like the natural default setting. We say that a lot in the podcast, that it's the default setting to want to label it as good or bad. And a lot of people label feelings of anxiety as bad because no one wants to feel it because it's typically negative emotions. It's increased heart rate. It's feeling like you're going to die or get hurt or whatever it is. Um, so you label those as bad. And then on the flip side, you label feelings of like happiness as good or other feelings that you like that are good. And uh, that's typically it's not very helpful to do. It's um, in and of itself, it's not good to label things, especially yeah. Um, your your feelings and thoughts. Even if it's a good feeling, you don't want to label it as right. good. Um, you could label it as helpful or not helpful, but to label it as good or bad isn't very helpful or unhelpful. Yeah. Uh, isn't very helpful, I should say. Yeah, exactly. You can so you have labeling of emotions. You also have labeling of yourself. Mm. You don't want to, you know, a classic labeling of labeling of yourself is you are a jerk or you you are an idiot things like that. That's labeling. And you can obviously see how that can be negative. Oh yeah. So episode three, this is February 10th of 2021. Tools for overcoming negative thinking. Now these, this is again from the book Feeling Great by David Burns. And I covered five of his techniques. There are actually a lot of techniques that you can use but I think these are the kind of the most important that I that I think anyway are the most applicable to most situations. So you have positive reframing, which is where you reframe a negative experience and flip it to a positive one. So for instance, if you are having a panic attack or um, even like even when you bring acceptance and commitment therapy into it, if you're feeling anxious, you don't label that as something bad, right? If, you sh if you're saying, oh my gosh, like I had a panic attack, that's so bad, to positive reframe it, positively reframe it, you could say, I'm having a panic attack because this like event that is giving me this panic attack was a big part of my life and I learned a lot from it and um, it was just something important to me. Or when you're feeling anxious, you can reframe that by saying, I'm anxious because I have a desire to connect with people and I don't do that. Mm. You know, does that kind of make sense? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like if someone is to have like this, we talk about social anxiety a lot on the podcast just because yeah. like it's probably the most common thing. But if you have an issue where you're, you're having a panic attack when you step into a big group of people and you have that panic attack or you feel like you're unable to move or speak or you're just having those feelings of anxiety... Um, positively reframing that would be I'm feeling this because I care about the people that I'm here with and I want to connect with them and I'm not I feel like I'm not doing that to the point where I feel like it would be fulfilling my value of connection and that could be anxiety inducing when you're not living in accordance to your values so reframing it from I'm anxious because I'm awkward to I'm anxious because I care about the people that I'm with and I'm not connecting with them in the way that I want that would probably be positive reframing in its best. and it's like simplest form yeah. I would say perfect I love that that's good. You then have the magic dial. This is simply not getting rid of your emotions, but simply dialing it down. You don't have to always get rid mm -hmm. of it because just like positive reframing, that anxiety 
or those emotions that you feel that we sometimes deem as bad can be positive and benefit us. And so why would we want to get rid of them when they can be positive? So you just simply dial them back to the point where it's not obviously inhibiting you like physically or mentally in any way to where you can't go on to live your life. Then have the double standard technique, which is if I am struggling with self-image and I call myself ugly, I then someone asks me, you know, how would I, if Austin, let's say, was struggling with the same thing, would I say, oh, Austin, you're just an ugly dude, man. <laughs> like, you are disgusting. You know, you don't look the way that you need to. Lose and, weight. Yeah, lose weight. You know, if those are things that I tell myself and I say, someone says, would you ever tell that to Austin? I'd say, absolutely not, right? You would never tell that to someone. And if you do, you're a jerk. You're straight up. <laughs> stop doing that. You know, stop. Yeah, don't do that. But so that's the double standard technique is you learn to talk to yourself as you would another person, as you would like your best friend. And most of the time you won't talk to your best friend the same way you talk to yourself if it's very negative. Hmm. Then have the semantic method, which is simply changing semantics or changing the words that you use. So things like we've talked about this a lot too is when you say I am depressed, you just simply change that to I feel depressed because you are not depression. You simply are experiencing that emotion. So you feel depressed or you feel anxious. And that's totally different from I am depressed because that can also go into labeling. You know, I am depression, I am depressed. And mm -hmm. so that's kind of two for one right there if you get you can get into that nasty cycle yeah and the last one here is examine the evidence that's kind of pretty clear to where oh Ooh. all right <laughs> <laughs> we have, have notifications on but um sorry examine the evidence if you it's like emotional reasoning you know if you're feeling anxious then examine that evidence. Like, do you have a reason to be anxious? And a lot of the times, no, you don't. You're just feeling anxious. And so when you examine the evidence, you see that there's no need for you to be feeling this right now, and that's okay. And so you can just let sit in that emotion for a little bit, knowing that you're not in danger, and let it pass. Yeah. The only thing I would add to that, too, is that um, that's like the definition of most anxiety disorders. It's, it's GAD, which is general anxiety disorder, which is the general feeling of anxiety in situations you shouldn't be feeling it. And so if you can work on that skill and that's like your kind of diagnosis, that's what you feel is in your life, that'd really be a benefit to you because a lot of the time our brain is really just playing a trick on you. It's it's thinking that it's helping you. Right. But it's um it's really making things worse and that's when you have to practice some of the acceptance and commitment therapy skills that we also learned about, like being able to say thank you brain and but I'm okay, I'm not gonna die. There's really no reason to be anxious. I will come out of this experience alive and well. I might be embarrassed, but I will be alive. And so that one, that one's a really important one that I would put a little asterisk by. If you can examine <coughs> the evidence and realize that you're not dying and that you're not going to die based off this anxious experience or this depressing experience, then you can get on with your life and live the way you want to live. It's where mindfulness comes in, baby. Absolutely. All right, so the fourth episode, February 27th of 2021. This is my first episode on the podcast. Featuring Austin Ivy. Yeah, this is when I was just a feature. Um, it was on mindset. It was one of the things that I was learning a lot about in that semester in school. And if anyone has ever studied mindset or if you know anything about it, you know that Dr. Carol Dweck is one of the like pioneers in the, the field of mindset and mindset reframing and building a, 
a good mindset, especially in children. That was her thing. And so I read from a lot of different resources that she made. There, I, I chose 10 different, um, I guess, applications or things that you can do in your life to yeah. develop a growth mindset. And I guess a growth, growth versus a fixed mindset, this is what Dr. Dweck talks about in her books, is a fixed mindset is one that is focused on... Um, you're born the way that you are. You can't change. You're born with certain capabilities and skills, and that's you're always going to be that way. And if you're good at something, it's because you were born that way. And if you're bad at something, it's because you were born that way. And that's just how, how you are. And the growth mindset is the opposite of that. It's a person who understands that they're born with certain capabilities and talents, but also has the ability to grow, as the name suggests, and develop and become a more um, versatile person. And growth mindset is typically is accompanied by um, less anxiety and depression and as you could guess a fixed mindset people who have a fixed mindset and are diagnosed with that typically have more path psychopathology they have more mental health problems because they see the world through a very um, they see the world with blinders on typically and a person with a grown size mindset sees more context and stuff like that and so in the episode we talked about those differences and then we talked about 10 different things you can do to develop a growth mindset because that's what we all really need to do in order to overcome, <laughs> I guess, dogma and stagnation in our lives. Um, so going through those 10 things, the first one was acknowledge and embrace your imperfections. The second one was view challenges as opportunities. Number three was try different learning tactics. Number four was replace the word failure with learning. Number five was stop seeking approval. Number six was value the process over the end result and finding joy in the journey versus finding joy in the destination and your focus should be on the journey. Number seven was cultivate a sense of purpose. And that one's really important with the most recent episodes that we've been doing on acceptance and commitment therapy and experiential avoidance. If you want to listen to those, it's um, the last four episodes that we've done, the most recent ones. Cultivating a sense of purpose means turning to your values as a person. So you have to understand what you care about most and then turn towards them. Uh, number eight was celebrate the growth of others, and that's a big one too, of being able to um, look outside yourself, kind of the cognitive distortions that we talked about. Being able to look at other people and celebrate their growth as a person can help you develop as a person. The abundance paradigm, Ooh. there's enough success in the world for everyone, so you don't have yeah. to be, you know, it's not a competition again. Remember, life isn't a race, it's not a competition, it's, we're just all here to grow. It's a big group project. Achieve our dreams, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, celebrate the growth of others. Number nine was reward actions over traits. And that one's a really big one with parenting. We talked a lot about it in the episode that if you're a parent and your child is doing well in school, you reward the action, not the trait. And so, or the uh, um, reward the, um, the action over the outcome, I should say. Um, because rewarding the action would be you'd work so hard in your homework and that's why you got, you're doing so well in school. And if you're rewarding the outcome, you're saying, wow, you're so good at school, you got that good grade, you must be really smart. So uh, developing a growth mindset in a child means complimenting and reinforcing hard work rather than good outcomes. Hopefully that makes sense, but you want to make sure the effort of your reinforcement is on the effort they're putting into something rather than the outcome and their like, natural born talent. You want to make sure that their mindset is set on the fact that they are the way that they are because they're working at that. And that's with other people too, like if, you, if you're a manager or an, an employer or a football coach, and you want to develop your employees or the people under your stewardship, then if you want to help develop a growth mindset and really boost the morale of everybody and the performance of everybody, 
make sure to focus on their actions rather than the outcomes of those actions. Yeah, it's celebrating the effort and not the reward. Yeah. So even if a like a you know a football team made it to the championship but they lost, a growth mindset would say, look how far we've come, look what we've accomplished and done, rather than we lost and we didn't get the trophy. Yeah, exactly. So it's that's a hard one to do. So that's a paradigm shift, a big one, because that's we kind of focus on that, especially on like the Western society. We focus a lot on achievement, um, but that creates huge fixed mindsets, which can cause a lot of anxiety and depression, especially in kids. So, and then the last one is to use the phrase "not yet" instead of "no." And so, if someone asks you, "Are you um, have you reached this goal? Or have you done this thing that you set out to do?" Instead of saying "no," you say "not yet." Because then that takes it back to one of the other um, 10 things is to focus on the journey and not the outcome. And that includes while you're still on the journey and people are asking you how far you've come. Never say no when it comes to your progress. Always just say not yet. And that just brings the focus back on the idea that you're constantly working towards. Even after you achieve a goal, there's always going to be more things to work on. It's a a value-based goal, I should say. If it's a value-based goal, then there will always be things to work on. But if it's a goal-based value, you can go listen to one of our other episodes on stuff like that. But um, yeah, just focus on the journey and not the destination. That's really like a super simplified version of developing a growth mindset. Boom. Couldn't have said it better. Episode four. Episode four featuring Austin Ivey. <laughs> go give that a listen. Number five is ingredients for change. Now, this comes from the book How to Avoid Falling in Love with a Jerk by John Van Epp, and I love that book. It's right, I think it's right there. Oh, it's over there on that side, the blue one. If you're watching on YouTube anyway, if you're not, that just, just picture There's a bookshelf. There's a lot of me moving around, <laughs> random noise. But anyways, yeah, great book. Listen to that, especially if you're still in the dating scene. That's an awesome book. It'll show you how you can look at the red flags when dating and what things are red flags in the first place that you can notice. Anyways, so there in that book, there are some ingredients that we can use to start to change ourselves. And number one ingredient is insight to yourself. If you don't know what's wrong, then you won't know what to change. That brings us to number two is new information to direct change. Which way do you want to go once you recognize you have an issue or you want to change? So where do you want to go? Number three is motivation. Remember, I specifically remember talking about motivation as not a feeling but a decision. Hmm. When we obviously you can feel motivated, but after you listen to like a, a motivational speech or something, you know, how long does that feeling last? A, an hour, a day, even maybe a week, but then it goes away. And so motivation is not a feeling; it's a decision. We decide to change and to take that step to to change and to make a difference in ourselves. Mm -hmm. Number four is time. We obviously need time. You can't change, you know, something, especially if it's been a habit your entire life, something that's been integrated into you from childhood. You can't just change it overnight. So you need time. And I added, I think I added this one myself, four and a half. There were four ingredients, but I added four and a half, and that's patience. You need to have patience with yourself because, again, Some of these things especially can be generational. They can have gone on for generations, like anxiety or depression or lack of motivation, whatever it is, it can have gone on for a really long time. And so you need to to have patience with yourself, 
realize that it's okay and you are taking steps in the right direction. That's all that matters because it's not a race. It's just we're all here to grow and to mm -hmm. learn. And some are a lot slower than others, and that's okay. That's, that's not a problem. Mm -hmm. That's episode five, Ingredients yeah. for Change. Episode six was a little bit more of the same thing. Uh, March 24th, 2021, it was how to create a strong relationship using the RAM model. And I know in high school, a lot of high schools teach this kind of curriculum. And especially as a senior in high school, you learn about this. But It's awesome. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good uh, way to understand yourself and the way you connect and the way you, um, what you kind of want out of a relationship in a way. But it's based off of a, I don't know, like a, a framework, I guess you could say, by a man named John Van Epp. Um, PhD. And, um, I guess I, I haven't talked about this in a long time. I haven't studied it since one of my first semesters of school. So do you maybe, could you maybe explain like yeah, the RAM a little bit let's better? Let's see if I still know the RAM. It's, it was maybe, it's probably my first semester of school. So in the RAM, there are five different like dials, right? And mm -hmm. each dial, the first one has to go up before the next one. They kind of precede yeah. each other. They have to be in a certain order. So first is no, you have to get to know your partner and know the person you're dating or whatever then you need to trust them and then rely, commit, um, touch, no, yeah, yeah, so there's five, right? Yeah, no, touch, rely, no, sorry, dang it. No, trust, rely, commit, touch. Mm, that sounds about go. right, yeah. Yeah, so all those things need to precede each other before you know, that dial starts to go up. And so if you are in a healthy relationship, those dials will kind of make a, a downward slope because no will be highest and then trust, rely, commit, touch. And when those are out of order, especially if you're, the only time they should be out of order, I guess not should, but can be, is when you're married, sometimes you the touch can be higher than like rely or commit. And you have things like sex that can bring those dials back up, like makeup sex. That's a real thing. Mm, oh, yeah. So that's, it's, it is. It is. <clears throat> but, yeah, that's uh, that's really the, the basics of that. So if you want to learn more about it, you can just go listen to the episode. It's there a, you go. It's a very uh, straightforward <laughs> topic, but uh, yeah. we'll end on the makeup sex, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That brings us to episode number, number seven. seven. Okay. Radical acceptance, a primary instrument for peace and happiness. Radical acceptance is simply learning to accept your life situation as it is and accepting just the here and now and learning to look at things as they really are, not as you want them to be or not through any filters that you have, just things as they are and learn to accept it. And we've talked a lot about that already with the past you know, five or so episodes with acceptance and commitment therapy. It's literally in the name acceptance. So, and that was a lot of the, the, the theme of episode eight too. It was finding peace through mindfulness. Um, it's on April 28th and, um, my mindfulness is a huge proponent of acceptance, acceptance, and commitment therapy, the ability to connect fully with the present moment, um, with everything that it is both good and bad. Um, I'm sure you could talk a little bit more about this episode in specific, but mindfulness as a whole is an amazing opportunity and tool that you can use to get out of those cognitive distortions, cognitive distortions. It's a good way to get out of the downward spiral of depression and the downward spiral of anxiety. It's a really good way to stop the, um, 
what are they called? The little dominoes. A good way to stop the dominoes. There's a huge domino effect with them, especially anxiety. You can do a huge negative feedback loop and mindfulness um, is a really good way to see every the picture as it fully is. You can kind of going back to that one way out of uh, that one cognitive distortion, um, examining evidence. A really good way to examine the evidence of an anxious or depressive situation is to meditate a little bit and to see yourself in context of what's really going on. Yeah, I started off this episode with giving a little parable or a story that you are the whole lake and not just the surface. Because remember when a storm crosses the lake or the, you know, the surface mm -hmm. of the water, the wind, the rain, everything kind of makes the, the surface of the lake kind of rough. And that's kind of where we tend to live as human beings is the surface of the lake. And we let things like little wind and rain kind of ruin our day and uh, shift our emotions and kind of let that run our life. We need to remember that we are the whole lake and deep down in the lake during a storm is completely calm. And that calm, that little piece of calm is always there inside of us and we can access that through mindfulness. Great. Number nine, the four great deaths of the self. Now, this was very, uh, it also came from uh, Feeling Great by David Burns. But, I mean, I'm honestly not going to go too much into this because I honestly forgot some of this stuff, <laughs> <laughs> to be completely honest. But, yeah, the four great deaths of the self, it's, it comes from Buddhism and when we realize that we essentially don't have a self that can be judged or labeled, then a lot of freedom comes from that. It's kind of a hard, a hard concept to get your mind around because once you say like, oh, you know, you're not a unique human being or you're not, like you don't have a self, some people think that as like a, a negative thing. But just think about it, you know, try and, try and like describe an attribute of yourself. Like let's say, you know, you are really good at, you know, again, sports. Like, that's an attribute that's not you. That's just an event that you are good at, not necessarily yourself. Mm -hmm. Or if you feel depressed or if you feel a certain thing, it's not you. That's an experience that you are experiencing. So, interesting concept, but very helpful once you start to understand it and just get it through your head. It took yeah. me a little while. So that was episode nine. So episode 10 was the integrative processing technique, a tool for emotional healing. And I myself actually don't know a whole lot about that. And it still looks like you had a special guest that episode. Yeah, this is the episode with Annie, my wife. And she, at the time, was going through school for the integrative processing technique at the Institute of Healing Arts. And she still does that to this day. She has a couple of clients that she works with and it's really awesome. She's really good at it. And right now she's actually going to massage therapy school mm. and she's going to implement both of these. So maybe more to come on that. Maybe she'll uh, be a guest again on the episode. Oh yeah. We still don't know how we're going to do guests on video. Like if they came here, because as you can see, we're not really, don't have the most room. <laughs> it's not super big right here. You can fit Zuko in here yeah, pretty we well. Fit Zuko but... right, right there. Yeah. But he's actually laying down right over here. He's being a good boy. Anyways. That was number 10. That's, number 10. Yeah. 11 is understanding the brain. Sneff. Now, this also comes from feeling great. Yeah. Okay. 
And <laughs> as I'm as I'm look, looking at this, I'm trying to think at the same time, like, do I even remember what that acronym means? And, uh, you know, I don't think I do. I'm really sorry. But in this episode, 11, I do because Ooh, okay. I had notes. But, um, yeah, there you go. It comes from chapter 30. <laughs> <laughs> and they actually had a... This comes from a neurosurgeon, actually. The, the acronym SNEF. Dr. Mark Noble, who's considered to be one of the founders of modern stem cell biology. <laughs> he talks about SNEF and how we can start to understand the brain. I wonder if I still have the notes, actually, for that. I don't see why I wouldn't. There we go. I got it. Okay. So, S. Oh, come on, dude. Where's the... <laughs> Maybe I don't. That's a little awkward, you guys. Oops. Whoops. Where's the S? Oh, my gosh. Oh, I think it just stands for systems. We have systems in our brain, right? And then we have networks, which is the N. There are... You know, 100 billion nerve cells in the human brain, and each one can connect with hundreds of different, even thousands of nerve cells. So it's just, those are networks. So you have systems, and then in, within those systems are networks. Those control the emotions, and then we have filters and frames. Hmm. So there you go. Glad I'm still Sniff. Notes. If you want to learn more about the episode, go <laughs> listen to episode 11. Sniff. I think this episode is more of a refresher for us than it is for you. So this is good. Now we... Here we go. Yeah, Snuff. we can remember the things that we learned to talk about. <laughs> yeah, things that we talk about. Um, That's kind of the point of these of the podcast in the first place, yeah. right? Like one of the points anyway is for us to be able to remember and learn yeah. about things on a deeper level. This is primarily, yeah, for the first thing is for us is, as students to have a deeper understanding as we go into the world of therapy to be the best therapist we can be. And so yeah. if it's awkward, we know it is as we're going <laughs> through this. And so we appreciate it. If you've gotten this far, we're going to keep going. Heck yeah. Um, episode 12 was on July 9th, the inside out paradigm bit by a snake. What will you do? I have no idea. <laughs> what do you think, Enoch? What would you do? Well, the inside out paradigm is if you want to fix something, then you have to fix that within yourself in order to fix something out there in the world. Like if you, this comes from the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. And he talks about where if you, if there's an issue you want to talk about or that you want to fix, you need to start within yourself and make that change. Like Michael Jackson says, mm -hmm. make that change within yourself before you go out and change others. And the bit by a snake, what will you do? It would be if you're bit by a snake, you're not just going to run around and try and kill the snake because he bit you. If you do, the poison's going to run through your veins faster and you're going to die. With Inside Out Paradigm, you're bit by a snake. You focus on yourself first, get the poison out, and then you can go after the snake and make a difference that way. Mm. The Inside Out Paradigm. Episode 13, August 4th. Empathy versus Sympathy. And this is, I mean, just like the title... There's, I don't think really need to go into this where you know, empathy is really learning to sit with someone down in their dark hole rather than, or did I say empathy? What did I just say? Empathy <laughs> is being down in the hole with them. Sympathy is sitting on top of the hole saying, hey, are you okay down there, you know, in that hole? Can I do anything for you? 
when in reality you're not in the hole with them. And empathy is getting down and dirty, getting in the hole with them and saying, I'm here for you. You know, what can I do uh, to help you? And it's not, um, it's not doing it. Empathy isn't doing it to like make yourself a victim so you can better help the person that you're there with. It's to try to see it the way that they're seeing it and not like not take this pain upon yourself to be a victim. It's to attempt to see the world the way they're seeing it and walk a mile in their shoes, that type of thing versus the, it's like saying, I'm sorry to someone who's going through a hard, hard time versus what can I do to someone who's going through a hard time? Because, um, one is superficial and it's like sympathy can be good in certain situations. It's more appropriate in certain situations, but true healing comes from true empathy. Right. A really good example of what not to do of what empathy isn't is if you watch the Tobey Maguire Spider-Mans. We actually just watched those with our wives. We're just doing a little Spider-Man marathon. But yeah. If you look at Tobey Maguire with Mary Jane, okay, it is so bad. And it's those are really things cringy. that we're, we're actually going to talk about probably in future episodes is like analyze movies and stuff and mm-hmm. see just how bad it really is. Because when Mary Jane is going through issues, like she was kicked off Broadway, when she starts to bring it up, then Tobey, Spider-Man, is like or Peter Parker in the show, he's like, oh, trust me, I know exactly what that's like. Like, when people uh, see me as Spider-Man, that's all they see, they don't see who I am. And they just he just totally avoids her, you know, her issues and what she's trying to say. That is not empathy. Mm-hmm. That's, that's maybe even not sympathy. It's a little bit of sympathy. But <laughs> yeah. it's kind of, you know, making him a victim as well instead of saying, I'm sorry you're going through that. Like, what can I do to help you? Instead of, I know exactly what that's like and how you feel because this is what happened to me and you kind of shifted on you. Yeah. And on top of that, it can be okay to say like, I've been through this thing, so I have an understanding. But when being empathetic, it's important to always keep the focus on the other person to really truly understand what they're going through. It's good to make connections in your brain so you can help get context of what they're really going through, but to do what Peter Parker does and say, I know exactly what you're going through. I, I, like you don't even have to tell me like this is exactly what I've been through but because we all have our own unique experience and having a good empathy based foundation in your life means being able to kind of put our narcissism aside and know that other people have way different experiences than we do and although we have similar experiences two people living the same experience are going to have two different outcomes and two yeah. different um, outlooks and that's why empathy is so important and it's a skill it really sure. is. So don't feel bad if you're not good at it. It's something that you can develop. It's yes. not something you're really worn with. Yeah, sympathy is the natural default setting, for sure. Empathy yeah. is not. Um, but 14, this was my second episode on the... He's back on. I'm back on. This episode was... Um, 14. Yeah, episode 14. Uh, August 18th. So pretty... I guess, it's a, I guess that was a while ago. That was about six months ago. But anyways, yeah, um, August 18th. We talked about bad behaviors and unmet needs. And we talked a lot about how... Um, if, especially in relationships, we talked about this in the context of like a marriage or like children and parents that if a, if a, let's say your spouse, for instance, is having a, a hard time, they're, they're engaging in some type of really bad behavior that is damaging the relationship. Like they're being really distant or they're stonewalling you in every conversation you have, they're nagging you a lot. I'm thinking of a, like a behavior that you find is annoying or destructive to a relationship. It usually stems from an unmet need and that that unmet need is the core of the problem, which stems out to a primary emotion, which is something like anger or fear 
or um, anxiety, and then that stems to, um, I guess anger would actually be more of a secondary emotion, but um, that unmet need stems to a primary emotion, which is something that you can't really control. It's a very natural human thing, which then stems out to a secondary emotion, and a secondary emotion is something that we have control of, and it's a reaction to a primary emotion. So <clears throat> if you have an unmet need, which makes you feel anxious, which is sometimes you can't control, you can react to that with a secondary emotion like anger or, um, I don't know, what are some other secondary emotions that can come from anxiety, like anger or fear, fear, um, I guess, uh, loneliness or, uh, yeah, becoming loneliness. like having that feeling of, I think depression could also be a secondary emotion. Yeah. Like it can also be a primary emotion. Uh, the anxiety and depression flip back and forth of like being able to control it and not being able to control it. Um, but that so goes from un unmet need, primary, secondary, and then into the, the final level, it that all presents itself in some type of bad behavior. And so what we talked about in the episode is how to trace it back, like either from the beginning or from the outside. So being able to trace my husband is being very distant recently. And what have I no what type of emotions have I noticed with that? That he's also been showing he's been kind of acting kind of angry recently. And so that's a secondary emotion. And what primary emotion could that be stemming from? And then this is all from a conversation, too. It really comes from a really good foundation of, a, of communication whenever the, the problem is, whether that be a spouse or a child. But to be able to work it back, you have to go from that primary emotion to the secondary emotion and then find out what that unmet need is. It could be that they, if they're being, if they're stonewalling or being distant in the relationship, it's because maybe they're not getting the, the physical attention they want or like they're not they feel like they're missing out on some type of uh like they they need more i guess uh, what's the uh, the word i'm looking for the uh autonomous they need more autonomy like they feel like you're too attached to them and they need a little bit of, of independence or growth and i wish i could find the notes for that now but there's a whole list of things that i read in the, the book for that semester of school but um but yeah there's there's unmet needs are what's driving the, the bad behaviors and if you can figure out the unmet need and try to meet it that will follow the domino effect back up the uh i guess the line of primary emotions secondary emotions and should help resolve the bad behavior and there you go so it's just a little map to yeah. trace back you know to the core of what's actually going on in your life instead of focusing on secondary emotions which won't really get you anywhere if you just focus on those yeah and this is uh, locking me out, so I might need to have Enoch and oh. back in, because my phone is what's recording. Yeah, we are using Austin's phone to record, so... There we go. There you go. Maybe I don't look like day. Enoch, so... <laughs> one day we'll I, get The face camera. ID didn't work for me. So we have episode 15, <laughs> Attachment Styles, and I think I just went over three main attachment styles, which is secure, anxious, and you have avoidant. And we all want to shoot for the secure attachment, which brings interdependence, where when both of you are securely attached and confident in who you are, then that's when you can be interdependent and have a thriving, successful relationship. And I'm not going to go too much into you know, the other attachment styles, but if you want to learn more, there you go, episode 15. There's a whole... On attachment styles. There's a whole episode about yeah. it. Isn't that crazy? That's pretty intense stuff like to understand yourself. So if you really want to... If you find yourself wanting to understand yourself a bit better, then listen to that episode. Heck yeah. Then you have here, the next four episodes are when I started Monday Mindfulness and Meditation. And that's when just life was kind of crazy. And so I wasn't able to put out an episode until 
So from September 16th to October 11th is when my episode, or the episode on pornography came out. And so we're not gonna do Monday Mindfulness and Meditations. If you wanna go listen to them, they're literally just like five minutes. Mm -hmm. You can go listen to those and practice some mindfulness tools and uh, meditation exercises. Yeah, the, so the, after all those Mondays that went without a regular episode, there's episode 16 on the pornography, which is titled Pornography, A Big Business for a Free Drug. And this is something we actually talked a lot about today. We were starting an internship together here in the city that we live in, and it's a kind of a community action coalition, I guess you could say. And um, we're going to be working a little bit um, of pornography pre prevention, but this episode, if I remember correctly, I haven't been listening to it, is a lot about how pornography has become the new drug. It's it's addicting and psychoactive, just like any other drug, like cocaine or, um, I mean, put drug here. It's just as dangerous and addicting, uh, or probably more so, than any drug on the market on there. But the most dangerous thing is that it's free and that it's in everyone's pockets on your smartphone. Super accessible. It's it, not, well, That's what makes it so dangerous and so... I guess scary too because I mean I think I remember reading this in one of my classes we had a huge unit about um, about pornography and it was a couple of weeks about how dangerous it is for children I think the average exposure age for a child in the United States is like 11 years old yeah it's 11. so imagine an 11 year old getting exposed to cocaine and yeah. that's like the the context you need to get in this is that it's kids are getting exposed to it at a very young age and it has damaging and lasting effects on a, on a young kid's brain Dan whether you think I mean, this might be pretty controversial to a lot of people, but whether you think pornography isn't harmful or not, the fact is, is that one, young children, young kids are getting exposed to it, and two, it's having negative effects, not positive effects. Like, I'm sorry, I don't, I'm not going to say I don't care what you think, because <laughs> I do. I really do care what you think, and I care about your opinion, but you can't avoid those, the facts that pornography is harming you whether you like it or not you can't just turn off that part of your brain or say oh it's not going to harm me so it's not going to harm you you can't do that with any other drug you can't say i'm going to take cocaine and it's not going to have any effect on me mm -hmm. you know if you do maybe you just have maybe you're a monk with insane mindfulness <laughs> like mind powers but 99.100 percent of the time <laughs> there's going to be an effect when you take cocaine, right? Mm -hmm. And same thing goes with pornography. It's no different. And so it's an issue. It mm -hmm. really is. And that's another thing that we're also going to be talking about. The program that we're interning at is a mainly a suicide and drug addiction prevention program. And we're actually going to have the founder and main, I guess, manager, of the, manager yeah. the main person, the big wig, our boss, Tamra, shout out to Tamra. You're probably listening, which is awesome. <laughs> she's, she says she's our number one fan, so hey. Anyways, <laughs> so we're going to be talking more about that, though, in the future, about things that we are learning with that and going to kind of promote that and talk about things that, uh, that are important because yeah. things like suicide and drug addiction with pornography included into that is a big deal and it's growing you know very rapidly every day and so these are things that that need to be addressed that a lot of people don't like to talk about yeah. across the board it's having negative effects in all aspects of like culture mental health across the united states and across the world so it's definitely something we're going to be addressing more on this podcast and in our little professional lives as well so 
that was it was a good episode. I remember listening to it. It was like a couple episodes before I came on as a co-host, and um, it's enlightening to see the, the effects that it can have on a person. So uh, if you haven't listened to that one, I would strongly suggest it, for sure. Do it. So episode 17, the Coolidge effect. This goes along with pornography as well. When you see or get into a relationship with someone, those feelings of excitement, the butterflies in your stomach, only last for so long. And then what happens when you're, you know, even a couple months into a relationship, it kind of can get stagnant and a little boring if you don't do anything about it. And the Coolidge effect is a little part of your brain where it's always searching for females or males to mate with, uh, if you're a woman, obviously, um, then your mind is searching for, for males. And it does happen in females as well, just not as strongly or apparent. In males, it's a bit stronger, but it also happens in females. But your brain is always searching, always scanning for potential mates so you can pass on your genes pass on your dna and it's just simply a survival technique that your brain has and so it's not i wouldn't even say it's, it's not anything bad it's something that we can learn to control and just recognize that it's there and that's what it is mm-hmm. when let's say your husband you know i don't know you catch him looking at another girl just walking by like i don't know maybe not he's not even thinking of like, oh, she's so hot. Like, mm. I want to get with her. But it could just be natural. The Coolidge effect. Like, oh, she's pretty. You're not to say that it's you know? okay, but that it's completely natural. Like, you want to yeah. be able to quell and control your emotions and desires. But um, it's just going back to giving yourself a little bit of... It's like understanding your biology, you know? It's, yeah. you got to be able to give Learning. yourself a little bit of grace that it's a natural thing. And if you do it, then you can learn how to control it, like you said. Yeah. And if that happens to you, you now know what it's called. It's the Coolidge effect. Yeah. You can do more research on that as well. Yeah, learn how to, once you understand it, you can start to control it a little bit better. <clears throat> yep, there you go. Yeah, so, so off that one, number 18, kind of staying in the same ballpark, is how to start building a stronger relationship with your spouse. And I don't know about, the talks. Enoch talks about three different keys of things we can do to build a healthy relationship, and I'm going to let him talk about that. But um, as future marriage and family therapists, there is a M in that, and it's marriage, and um, this podcast is a lot about that, and we um, we haven't done many episodes about it, but um, building a strong and healthy relationship, it has a has an effect on the community at large, really. And so this is a good episode to, to listen to, even if you're not married, you know? it's If you're dating or looking to get married, or even if you're, like, young in high school and you're just, that's not even on your radar, it's good to understand that um, having really good relationship, I guess, skills translates into more than just marriage too and so i'll let you take it away from there but that's my two cents about that the situation well, honestly i couldn't have said it any better oh perfect so, and we're just going to move along because we don't nice. want to take too much time obviously take too much time here but since it's a one-year anniversary i mean we're going to go as long as we want to be yeah honest. if you, you don't have to listen to the whole thing but we'd appreciate it <laughs> <laughs> okay number 19 this is the official episode that austin came on as a co-host i don't know if we announced it in this episode we decided it that night, that's for sure. I remember yeah, having the conversation about it. For sure. I think we announced it in episode 20, but I could be wrong. It could be in episode 19 as well. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's simply titled The Best Anxiety Medication Doesn't Come in Pill Form. Mm-hmm. And the overarching uh, theme or idea about this episode was that when you find purpose and when you find, uh, I guess, when you are driven by values and you have a bigger purpose and you focus on that, 
then anxiety and depression, those feelings that you get tend to go away. Mm-hmm. And if not go away, then they will at least you know, simmer down a little bit, dial it down because you're focusing on something bigger than yourself. Yeah. And this episode, not to go into too much more detail about it, but um, my personal beliefs when it comes to anxiety, especially in the world of like pharmacology is that people are over, over medicated when it comes to anxiety. Um, and I think there's people out there that need their medication that they take. And it's an extremely beneficial tool in overcoming mental health struggles. And I'm never going to, um, shoot that down because it always will be and has been an effective way to get a hold of your struggles. Um, but it's in this episode, like the title can be misleading. We just talk about how there's more to developing good mental health than just going to your psychiatrist and getting on a, like a benzodiazepine or some type of SSRI. There's, there's more to it. And I think that's the culture we have in the United States is that you can go get a pill and feel better. Um, but in the episode, we talk about things like responsibility and relationships and um, accountability and how that is another piece of the pie that you need to focus on if you really want to have a fulfilling and meaningful life that isn't controlled by anxiety. Yeah, there is actually a model that we're both learning about right now in school. It's called the biopsychosocial model. Mm-hmm. And we'll, we actually talk about doing an, an entire episode on that, which we will in the future. But Absolutely. the overarching premise of that, the model is that there are three major things that can affect and that do affect our like ourselves, the things that we go through on a day-to-day basis. And one is biologically driven. Uh, the other is psychologically, psychological, and social. Mm-hmm. So all of those three things contribute to the things that we go through, like depression and like anxiety. And so when you take things, when you take antidepressants or anti-anxiety you know, pills, whatever it is you're taking, it's only addressing one of those three things, which is the biological, right? What's happening inside of your body. Mm-hmm. And they don't address the other two. So when, once you start to learn to address everything, the entire pie, not just one piece, and that's when you can really start to make a difference and really start to make a lasting change and not just you know, temporary change when you're on some kind of medication. Mm-hmm. I guess that kind of leads us right into episode 20, what it was about. We talked, it was um, named The Secret Life of Mindfulness. Like The and Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Exactly. If you didn't get it, that's that's the joke we were going Because we talked for. about Walter Mitty in, in the um, episode. I don't remember specifically what we talked about, but we just we went really in depth on mindfulness and how to apply it into your life the different, um, I guess, foundations behind it, different exercises and how it can help with things from like addiction to anxiety, fear, and uh, how it's for everybody too. And it's not just for Buddhist monks and that we try to break down the stigma a little bit of what mindfulness and meditation even looks like. So that was a pretty good episode. I remember having a good time with that one. Yeah, we just went over a couple ways that you can start to implement mindfulness in your life. We talked about breathing exercises, how breathing affects your body, why we focus on breathing. Then we talk about, like Austin talks about the critic, how it's always mm-hmm. judging you, and you can learn to silence the critic. And we also talked about the victim, ignoring Bob, protecting Bob, just different kinds of things. If those don't make any sense to you, then... Listen to All the more reason to listen to the episode. <laughs> so episode 21, The Three C's, The Thieves of Joy. And this was kind of Austin's, Austin's main, his little baby, this episode that he was able to present and talk about, which we just both were able to talk about. Yeah. It's really cool. 
the three C's, if you don't remember, they're um, criticizing, complaining, and comparing. And it's um, something that a, a religious leader taught me at one point in my life, and it stuck with me that those three things, if they're in your daily life constantly, if you're constantly complaining, if you're constantly criticizing other people, or if you're constantly comparing yourself, they're, you're, you're not going to have a lot of joy in your life. You're going to be very, you're going to have a lot of um, mental health issues because if that is like the negativity that's always in your life that comes from those three things, then it's going to be hard to find things in your life that you care about or that bring meaning to your life if you're always criticizing it or complaining about things if you're never satisfied. So um, we go in a lot of top, a lot of um, detail about how to avoid those three things and how to overcome them. But if you find those three things in your life, that might be the episode for you to listen to for sure. Heck yeah. And I think I talked about a little story called the second arrow. Mm-hmm. In this one, where we tend to shoot ourselves with the second arrow when we get hit with the first, which is, you know, like a like a primary emotion type thing. If we, you know, get, let's say, again, I'm just going to go back to my sports analogy. If I dropped a football, I feel mad, okay, mm-hmm. or bad that I dropped it. Boom, first arrow, hit with that. And then I would shoot myself with a second arrow by dwelling on that and saying i'm such a loser why did i you know drop that ball i'm a failure all that stuff and you essentially shoot yourself twice instead of just once and most of the time that one arrow is simply by living life it's not even your fault but the second arrow tends to be your fault most of the time if not all the time mm-hmm. so I don't know if I ever said it in the episode, but it's another thing that same religious leader taught me that our life experience is a lifelong curriculum of learning how to be 100% responsible and to act and not be acted upon. And that is the essence of those three things, of those three C's. If you're being acted upon, you're always going to be complaining about life is so hard. And if you're not 100% responsible, you're always going to be criticizing about how people are making, making life worse for you. And so... If you want life to get better, if you want more joy, avoid those, avoid those three things and choose to be 100% responsible and choose to act and not be acted upon. There you go. Episode 22 is about acceptance and commitment therapy. And I mean, no need to go into that. It's literally just about acceptance and commitment therapy. Yeah. What it is, it's kind of the basic idea of ACT and how it came to be. We give a little history of it. And yeah. simple. If you don't know what we're talking about, go listen to the episode. It's, to a, it. it's a basically just a therapy modality like a cognitive behavioral therapy or like talk therapy. It's just a way, it's a tool that therapists use, like a set of skills and lessons that a therapist will use to help a person. The term is psychological flexi- psychologically flexible to learn how to be more accepting of experiences in your life. And it has it's really mindfulness-based as well. So... Um, this is actually a two part, two part two, because, um, episode 24 was just the part two for that. Yeah. It was kind of a longer episode and part yeah. two, we talk about more like tools of act that we can use mm-hmm. and part one's more of a overarching idea of what it is and kind of a little history of it. Yeah. So that's, that's those two. And then in between those, we did a new year's resolution episode. It was why do your new year's, new year's resolutions always fail? And that episode, we talked a lot about values and values is a huge proponent of acceptance and commitment therapy living a value-based life. And so we talked about um, why your goals fail. And if they're value-based, then they typically won't fail. But if they're outcome-based, then they will. And then we talked a little bit about how we can make value-based goals and 
goals that will last the full year or longer than that, that will have true positive change in your life. Yep. There you go. Listen to that. If you have trouble making goals and keeping goals. Number 24, five, 25. Yeah. 25 is fighting for your marriage. And that's simply the title of the book that the episode is about is fighting for your marriage. And we just talk about different things that you can do, like five keys to have a more successful and more fulfilling marriage. And yes, I understand. And especially early on in like our therapy practice, people are going to say, well, you know, you're, you're just, you're, you're, you've been married for what? Like by the time I start therapy sessions, like three years, mm-hmm. you married for three years. I've been married for, you know, 20. I know more about marriage than you. And yeah, I mean, you probably do. Definitely. I've only been married now for, you know, a year and a half. Austin and I have. Mm-hmm. About the same time. Yeah. yeah. About the same time. And yes, we obviously haven't had a lot of experience in marriage, but that doesn't mean that these five keys aren't valid and don't work because these come from research-based and obviously from people that know what they're talking about. You know, it comes from the book written by therapists who have a lot of experience with this stuff. So especially early on when, like if you have a young therapist that you're seeing right now and you think this guy doesn't know what he's talking about, I know more than him, like that may be true regarding you know, about marriage and life experience because you're simply older, but they are trained professionals who know what they're talking about because they've studied this for years Mm -hmm. and years. And I'd recommend taking their advice. Yeah, that's really with everything we do too. We're both just students, but things that we talk about are all evidence-based from books and classes that we're taking in school. So, and especially with that marriage one, we we pulled a lot from evidence-based topics. And, um, even the next episode that we did in episode 26, it was on experiential avoidance, um, which is basically the, um, the, the tendency to avoid negative experiences, really any experience that you don't like that um, maybe cause you anxiety or depression or fear or some type of negative feeling. And so we talked a lot about, and this is just a week ago, if you remember it, that we, um, we talked about this experiential avoidance and how it can rule your life if you're tr- constantly trying to avoid negative experiences and negative feelings you're gonna live a terribly meaningless life because you're probably going to avoid the things you care about most and so we talk a lot about how pain is a signal to stuff that you care about if you're experiencing pain towards something in specific like if you're experiencing pain about going into like a party or a social situation it's probably because you care a lot about the people that are there and you want to connect with them and or there's something about connecting with people that you really care about. And when we avoid that pain, we're basically avoiding from and running from our true self. And we talked a lot about that in that episode in a lot of different ways. Yeah, we talked about, like, related that to a scary movie, mm-hmm. how the movie isn't as scary when you can kind of pause and take in what's actually happening and then you finish the movie, rather than every time you feel scared, you start it over and just do that over and over again. Yeah. It, it kind of keeps that power of being kind of scary. So when we face those experiences that can start to you know, bring up emotions from either the past or whatever it is, negative emotions that we feel, then those feelings lose their power when we face it head on. Yeah. That was, that's that's, that's 26 go. episodes of podcasts. Um, Over a, a course of one year. Yeah. And what's really cool is we're not going to go into all the stati- like statistics of our podcast, but... We, over the course of a year, were able to reach 16 different countries. 
And that's because of you, because you listen and because you support us. So thank you, really. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a great time learning. I think the people that get the most out of it is probably us as students oh, and sure. I'm learning a lot and it might get to a point in the future where it's popular and all that. But even if we don't, if we just have the same amount of listeners that we do now and um, you know who you are, I guess the people that do listen yeah. and you listen to every episode, we appreciate you and we hope to keep you on as a, as a, as our number one fans, I guess, because we appreciate that you listen and we're always willing to feed, like, I guess it get feedback. So leave comments on the YouTube videos and, um, we'll just keep doing what we're doing and try to share our knowledge and have come next year. Hopefully have a, another recap of what we've done so far because we love Heck doing yeah. it. And there would be a lot more episodes to recap because we did 26 episodes in a year and you know, overall it's like an episode every other week, but now we're going every week. So mm-hmm. that'd be 50 episodes. Yeah. <laughs> so stick with us and we'll see how that so, goes next year. But, um, yeah, if you made it this far. You're thank the OGs, you. and you've probably listened to every episode if you made it this far. So thank you. So thank you for your support. And a huge shout-out to Sam Proton and Danny D. We don't give them enough credit for making our music, which is really cool really that we awesome. actually have our own music now, and that's music. because of them. So Thank you, guys. Yeah. Thank, thank you guys for much. listening. Thank you for listening. And, of course, as always, taking us out is the great and talented Danny D. Have a good week. What about, what about therapy? What about, what about therapy? What about, what about therapy? Yeah. What about, what about therapy? What about, what about therapy? What about, what about therapy? Yeah. What about, what about therapy? What about, what about therapy? What about, what about therapy? What about, what about